Act Two, Part Two of The Benefit of the Doubt by Arthur Wing Panera. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Sir Fletcher Portwood looking at his watch. Oh, Alvingham, the hotel people were to send a carriage up for us. Perhaps you'll get your servant? Certainly. To Quaif. Quaif? What's that? Upon entering, Quaif has encountered Mrs. Allingham. Her eyes fall upon the letter on the salver. Olive, under her breath, staring at the letter. Ah, uh, ma'am? Olive, drawing back and speaking to Quaif. Well, give it to Mr. Allingham. A boy has brought this, sir, waiting for an answer. John is about to take the letter. When he sees the writing upon the envelope, he hesitates for a moment and draws his hand back. Then he picks up the letter deliberately. John to Quaif calmly. Wait. I'll ring. Quaif retires. Olive pointing to the letter. Isn't that letter from Mrs. Fraser? John, after opening the letter. Yes. He reads the letter to himself. Poor little lady. This is bad news. Really, Mr. Allingham? Really? Don't you know? She has left her husband. Uh, yes, sir, we do know it. Certainly we know it. I was almost the last person she spoke to before she quitted her mother's house. She is deeply attached to me. Buttoning his coat. Where is she? Where is she? I gather she's waiting not very far from this house. Waiting? she she wishes to see me oh yes sitting her hands tightly gripped together oh yes john going to her and handing her the letter read it please olive olive after a pause holding the letter between her finger and thumb reading station hotel epsom my dear old jack hastily returning the letter to john with a shudder take it from me John reading aloud. My dear old Jack. Looking round simply. We have known each other many years. Reading. Oh, I have had such a job to find you. I shall plant myself at some quiet spot near your cottage and get a messenger to bring this to you. The messenger will show you where I am. If you will only consent to see me for a few moments on... Looking round on a matter of business mrs cloyce concealed from the others by sir fletcher sinks on to the settee oh a matter of business of course a matter of business john resuming i have left my husband he turned against me at the end and crushed my one hope of being able to whitewash myself the cur resuming am off to paris the first thing in the morning very likely this is the last chance you will ever have of a word with your poor little friend, Theo. To Sir Fletcher. Sir Fletcher, I congratulate you on finding your niece. Please tell her that it is impossible for me to grant her request. Oh, but wait. Rising. Surely it would be rather uncivil to refuse what Mrs. Fraser asks. Mrs. Cloyes rising. I can be trusted to explain. 
but she is apparently in need of some business service which my husband can render her now that she is again in the hands of her relatives there can be no necessity for troubling mr ellingham not the slightest not the slightest perhaps not but before such a very curt message is sent to mrs fraser will you do me the favour of letting me have two or three minutes conversation with my husband alone i-i am anxious to go to my niece two minutes please john john goes to the dining-room door and opens it after a moment's hesitation mrs cloyes goes to the door mrs cloyes turning i beg that i may not be detained longer she passes out john follows her leaving the door open sir fletcher portwood standing over claude shaking him wake up sir wake up <laughs> what is it <laughs> eh rising hello uncle you've been sleeping sir your manners are appalling where's aunt sir fletcher portwood leading him towards the door in the next room come sir you are deficient in tact delicacy john re-enters sir fletcher passes him and goes out claude as he passes john the dining-room john to claude i shan't keep you more than a minute or two claude in the doorway turning to john ellingham of course you and i can never again be the same to each other as we have been in the past but may i take the liberty of foraging for a piece of cake john laying a hand on his shoulder certainly claude goes out john closes the door and turns to olive olive facing him well john advancing to her well oh could anything be clearer it's easy enough now to see through the twaddle these people have been talking mrs fraser runs away from her husband who believes her guilty her relatives go in pursuit they look for her and find her where her relations chance to be here when mrs fraser sends for me olive mockingly yes john referring to the letter desiring to see me for a few moments upon a matter of business that is all that can be made of it a matter of business this letter is not quite ingenuous you infer you've caught the tone of the lawyers exactly a matter of business is a lie you mean her arrival to-night is a remarkable coincidence perfectly natural one why are you so eager then to avoid granting her the interview she asks for eager you send word to her that it's impossible don't you make it impossible no i do not i do not i want you to meet her to-night you've heard me say i wish it you mean that if ever i meant anything in my life john referring to the letter i shall plant myself at some quiet spot near your cottage ah no never mind the quiet spot near the cottage why can't you have your business interview here here olive in a low voice her head drooping where we are now while i glancing towards the library while i take my place in there there is a pause he stands looking at her for a moment silently this is how you propose to carry out your undertaking to make amends to mrs fraser he turns away from her everything is altered since 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 we were reconciled reconciled since i promised to aid mrs fraser the arrival of these people that letter 
has undone everything throwing herself upon the settee despairingly oh they knew well enough where their bird would fly to burying her face in the pillows oh john you'll kill me ha and so you would like to try mrs fraser twice in one day there would be no mistake this time no doubt whatever innocent or guilty guilty for choice no no innocent but i want to be satisfied only satisfy me satisfy you my heavens satisfy me satisfy me and what a model judge of this lady you would make of any woman you were jealous of how scrupulously fair how impartial how i would be just john i would be john savagely taking a cigarette from the box on the table and sticking it in between his teeth women of your temperament detect a leer in the smile of a wax doll i give you my word that i will make every allowance for you both if you will let me hear you together you are old friends chums was her expression for it in the witness-box to-day and you are jack and theo to each other naturally i am prepared for all that kind of thing she can kiss you good-bye when she parts from you beating her brow i can comprehend even that only only let me be satisfied by her general tone and bearing by that unmistakable ring in the voice that she has never been the errant little profligate i once thought her john now sitting staring at the carpet and chewing the end of his cigarette supposing i consented and you were satisfied olive rising and speaking earnestly and rapidly we are in june i would have her stay with me my friends her own friends should see that we were close companions she should go everywhere with me my arm should always be through hers i would get a crowd together she should receive my guests with me oh by goodwood week her reputation should be as sound as any woman's in england come think of the dreadful days and nights she's given me whether she's good or bad come wouldn't that be generous look here you would swear to me you'd never use against her anything that might arise during our meeting i mean anything that your cursed jealousy could twist into harm solemnly if she proclaimed herself openly in this room to be our with a stamp of the foot he rises she should go scot-free for me if she behaved as an innocent woman she might walk over me in the future trample on me i'd be a slave to her only satisfy me he goes to the writing-table and rapidly scribbles a note she watches him with eager eyes when he has finished writing he takes an envelope rises comes to olive and holds the note up before her come to the cottage j a she inclines her head he touches the bell press then he encloses the note in the envelope which he fastens and hands to olive why take it she takes it wonderingly i have met your demand so far now if you wish to do a womanly thing you'll throw that on the fire quaif enters olive stands staring before her speaking in measured tones keeping his eyes on olive quaif the note which mrs allingham will give you is for the messenger yes sir if a lady arrives ask her to sit down in the card-room let me know when she comes i am alone should the lady make any inquiries very good sir olive 
Coif is waiting for the note. There was a pause. Then Olive turned suddenly and hands Coif the note. He goes out. There is another pause. And after this, after this, you and I, upon what terms do you imagine you and I will be after this? Oh, if she comes out of it well, I will be so good to her. Ah. Olive, clutching his arm. I will make you forgive me for it. I will make you. He releases himself from her almost roughly and moves away, turning his back upon her. Of course, you will not mention to Mrs. Fraser that you and I are in any way, in any way. Reconciled. Sitting on the settee. <laughs> turning to her. Why not? Naturally, she wouldn't open her lips to you at all if you did. John, waving her away. Fah. Olive, hand to her brow. You are very polite. She walks slowly and painfully towards the steps, pausing in her walk and referring to her watch. John, when the talk between you and Mrs. Fraser has gone far enough, I will strike ten on the bell of the little clock in here. You understand? When you are satisfied. Olive beginning to ascend the steps with the aid of the balustrade. When I am satisfied. Olive. She stops. It's not too late now for us to think better of playing this infernally mean trick upon her. Why? Nothing can arise during this interview injurious in the mind of any fair person to Mrs. Fraser's reputation. John starting to his feet. Nothing. Nothing. Then I am clearly serving Mrs. Fraser's interest by what I am doing. She disappears into the library. After a brief pause, John hastily goes to the dining room door and opens it slightly. Mrs. Cloys, Mrs. Cloys. Mrs. Cloys from the dining room. Yes. Let me speak to you. Mrs. Cloys enters. He closes the door sharply, speaking hurriedly and excitedly. I... I have altered my mind about meeting Mrs. Fraser. Altered your mind? I've sent a note to her by her messenger, asking her to see me here. Mr. Ellingham, I protest against this as quite unnecessary. Pardon me. Producing Theophilus' letter and speaking disjointedly, uneasily. On, on consideration, it seems to me that... That for everybody's sake, I have to satisfy my wife that Mrs. Fraser's presence is due solely to the most innocent causes. Mrs. Ellingham has, I take it, arrived at certain conclusions as to the motive of my visit. She has. And now, Theophila, following upon our heels. It is a most unfortunate accident. Mrs. Cloys, eyeing him penetratingly mr ellingham you have no doubt whatever of the absolute genuineness of my niece's excuse for calling upon you oh mrs cloys mrs cloys sitting yes i admit that i came here to-night to ask you to pledge your word to us that theo should run no further risk from her her acquaintanceship with you to entreat you if she should be so base, so abandoned. You mean you thought it possible, probable, that this lady had run away from her husband and friends 
with the deliberate intention of joining me me mrs cloyes covers her eyes with her handkerchief great heaven i suppose there is no living soul who will believe in an honest friendship between a young man and a young woman there are certain rules for the conduct of friendship mr ellingham rules the world's getting choked with rules for the conduct of everything and everybody what's the matter with the world that a woman has to lose her character and paint her face before she's entitled to tell a man her troubles and hear his in return cross a dying fire by lamplight when the streets are still and a few words of sympathy and encouragement stir one like a sudden peal of bells he stands by the fire bowing his head upon the mantelpiece mrs cloyes looking at him and speaking in a low voice ah a dying fire the lamplight the still streets the world is what it is mr ellingham yes and it's a damnable world coif enters the lady has arrived, sir. Mrs. Cloyes rises. John to Quaif. When I ring, show her in here. Quaif withdraws. Mr. Ellingham, you will not let Theo slip through my fingers. You won't let her escape me. Looking at him. <sighs> I will trust you so far. You may. I only ask you to allow me to have my interview of Mrs. Fraser undisturbed. Huh. <sighs> if you knew how i hate the idea of this meeting between you two turning sharply i've a feeling that something evil is going to result from it i can only repeat you're wrong in what you think of me turning away wrong every one of you mrs cloyes coming to him her manner gradually changing to harshness almost to violence well understand me mr ellingham i'm inclined to to have belief in you you've an honest face and air not that those things count for much but understand me if you bring in any shape or form further harm to her what further harm can i bring to her you find me here with my wife sir you had a wife round the corner when you were engaged in destroying my niece's reputation in Lennox Gardens. Recovering her composure. <sighs> but enough of that. We do understand one another, do we not? Oh, perfectly. That's right. Arranging her bonnet strings which have become slightly disordered. Excuse me for breaking out in this fashion. She goes to the door, he following her. At the door, she turns to him with grave dignity. I'm afraid I've impressed you as being rather a tigress. She goes out. He closes the door after her and stands staring at the ground for a moment. Then he gently turns the key in the lock and carefully draws the portier across the door. He is about to put his finger upon the bell press when he pauses. Olive, Olive, I've not yet rung the bell do you stop me won't you stop me he waits there is no answer with an angry gesture he rings the bell after a brief pause quaif enters theophila follows she is dressed as in the previous act but is now thickly veiled 
Quaif gives a puzzled look round the room and withdraws. Theophila advancing and speaking in a weak, plaintive voice. Oh, Jack. They shake hands, but in a constrained, rather formal way. Of course, we could have had our talk very well in the lane, but it's kind and considerate of you to ask me in. Oh, not in the least. I, uh, I... Do sit down. She looks at him, expecting him to find her a chair. In the end, after a little uncertainty, she seats herself on the right of the table. In the meantime, he ascertains that the door by which Theophila has entered is closed. Theophila lifting her veil. I'm afraid you're a little angry with me for hunting you up. Angry? Why should I be angry? Well, I suppose it is another, what you call it? injudicious act on my part but it seemed to me if i thought about it at all that we came so badly out of it today that nothing matters much now at any rate my character is gone john advancing a step or two but avoiding her eye no no oh isn't it yours is gone too jack only a man gets on comfortably without one facing him her elbows on the table well, what do you think of my news? John, looking at her, startled. By Jove, how dreadfully white you are. Theophila with a nod and a smile. The looks have gone with the character. Putting her hands over her face. Both departed finally. John, coming a little nearer to her. Uh, when you've had a little rest, you'll see everything in a brighter light. I should have kept my appearance a good many years, being fair and small. Removing her hands, looking up at him. He used to tell me I should last pretty till I'm forty-five. Do you remember? His jaw drops a little, and he stares at her without replying. Do you remember? John moving away. Oh, er, uh, uh, yes. Is there anything wrong with you, Jack? Wrong? With me? No. She shifts to the other side of the table to be nearer to him. He eyes her askance. Why don't you tell me what you think of my news? Your news? Theophila impatiently. You've read my letter, Jack. I'm a... what am I? A single woman again, a sort of widow. You're acting too hastily. You're simply carried away by a rush of indignation. Perhaps matters can be arranged, patched up. You mustn't be allowed to arranged patched up you don't realize what you're proposing you wouldn't make such a suggestion if you had been a fly on the wall this afternoon while mr fraser and i were having a little talk struggling to keep back her tears alec my husband he was very much in love with me at one time i never doubted that he would stand by me through thick and thin he's done so pretty well up till today up till the trial and then suddenly he he she produces her handkerchief rises then moves away abruptly and stands with her back to john crying john turning to the fire mr fraser was taken aback flabbergasted i expect by the tone adopted by the judge today there's that poor excuse for him but a little reflection will soon Theophila drying her eyes. Oh, don't prose, Jack. Turning. 
on the whole i i think it's better that he and i have at last managed to find out where we are john turning to her where you are you know there's always a moment in the lives of a man and woman who are tied to each other when the man has a chance of making the woman really really his own property it's only a moment if he lets the chance slip it's gone it never comes back i fancy my husband had his chance to-day if he had just put his hand on my shoulder this afternoon and said you fool you don't deserve it for your stupidity but i'll try to save you if he had said something anything of that kind to me i think i could have gone down on my knees to him and coming to john excitedly but he stared at the carpet and held on to his head and moaned out that he must have time 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 oh he was my one bit of rock throwing herself into a chair on the right if he'd only mercifully stuck to me for a few months three months two for a month john going to her slowly and deliberately and standing by her mrs fraser she looks up at him surprised of course whatever future is in store for you nothing no luck no happy times can ever pay you back for the distress of mind you've gone through nothing jack mr ellingham her hand to her brow oh nobody knows oh jack some nights some nights i said my prayers i found myself doing that too in hansoms or walking along the street praying for me yes oh don't make me cry again oh my head oh don't let me cry any more hush 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 what i want to say is this you knew young goodhue charlie goodhue the boy that cheated at baccarat he didn't he was innocent i'm sure he was poor fellow well he told me one day in brussels that he managed to take all the sting out of his punishment by continually reminding himself that it was undeserved that there wasn't a shadow of justification for it i suppose it would be the same with a woman who who gets into a scrape an innocent woman it's good under such circumstances if you can feel a bit of a martyr you mean that's it so in the future you must never tire of reminding yourself of the utter harmlessness of those hours we used to spend together in lennox gardens they were harmless enough god knows god knows and they were awfully jolly too jolly you know cosy comforting yes yes comforting it was the one thing that kept me together during those shocking pont street days of mine our friendship our friendship when i was in the deepest misery the thought would come to me well i shall see my little friend to-day or to-morrow and then i'd go through our meeting as i supposed it would be as it always was hello jack good morning or good evening oh my dear boy you're in trouble again i'm afraid dreadfully i shall go mad i believe or drink mad drink not you sit down and tell me all about it and so on and so on i had my miseries too yes you had your miseries too and then you invariably came out with that one piece of oracular advice of yours ah <laughs> yes don't fret 
it'll be all the same a hundred years hence but you couldn't act upon yourself how vexed it used to make me and the ponderous way you said it well it was a good helpful friendship to me and to me john standing a little behind her speaking calmly but watching her eagerly because all the while there was never one single thought of anything but friendship on either side why of course not jack you'd have detected it in me if there had been trust a woman for that and if you had for a moment fancied that i was losing sight of mere friendship you what would you have done oh one day the usual headache not at home the next the proper thing but jack dear i never felt the slightest fear of you and that's what makes an end like this so cruel so intolerably cruel never felt the slightest fear of me no never oh of course a woman can tell somehow i knew i knew you couldn't be a blackguard john about to seize her hand but restraining himself god bless you god bless you he walks away and pokes the fire vigorously hitting the coal triumphantly ah ha ha turning to theophila i beg your pardon you're in the most uncomfortable chair in the room she rises and crosses the room john arranging the pillows on the settee you must be so weary too i'm confoundedly stupid and forgetful to-night theophila sitting on the settee fancy a fire in june john walking about elatedly dividing his glances between theophila and the library i love to see a fire theophila suddenly of course dropping her voice i remember he stops staring at her do you recollect steadily gazing into the fire that night when we were sitting over the fire in that little room in lennox gardens oh yes yes i shall always burn a fire theo he said to bring back these nights these soothing precious talks in the quiet hours wherever i may be i shall only have to light my fire to hear you and to see you to see you sitting facing me ah that evening yes i was terribly terribly down that evening wiping his brow by the by we we mustn't neglect the 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 matter of business the little matter of business theophila rousing herself matter of the matter of business you mentioned in your letter theophila rising oh yes sitting on the left of the centre table jack i i do hope you won't hate me for asking you you see if i went to anyone else i should run a chance of having all my arrangements upset i i want to borrow a little money ah yes certainly anything i shall be most happy this is exactly how i am placed mr fraser wanted to hurry me off abroad ah that's done with instead of that you see i've taken my travels and my future into my own hands i've telegraphed to emily graveney who was at madame macdonald's with us girls in the rue d'audifray pasquier emily is teaching in paris now i hardly know how she scrapes along she'll be mad with delight to have my companionship but till the lawyers settle my position precisely as regards mr fraser i'm practically broke penniless 
it's a little ready money i want john who has seated himself at the right of the table while theophila has been talking you've only to tell me how much well i think i could tide over with fifty pounds i'm afraid you haven't got it in the house though i don't want a check john taking out his keys and going to a table i believe i can just make it up he opens a drawer in the writing table finds some banknotes counts them then empties his sovereign purse and screws the gold up in the notes within a pound that's of no consequence rising i'm awfully obliged to you i knew you would i i he returns to her and finds her clutching the table unsteadily john placing the money on the table what's the matter nothing sinking back into the chair with closed eyes i shall be all right in a minute he brings her a glass of water and places it to her lips she sips the water for a little while then gives a sigh better i think so when did you last eat she shakes her head feebly he puts the glass of water aside and fetches the biscuits get two or three of these down come try theophila taking a biscuit thank you he places the biscuits on the table by her side and goes back to the other table a glass of this champagne would pull you together theophila nibbling the biscuit her eyes still closed would it he brings the decanter of champagne and a small tumbler she speaking faintly and opening her eyes oh do let me off this jack john pouring out some champagne no no stick to it do theophila watching him that looks nice she puts the remains of her biscuit on the table and stretches out her hand for the wine he gives it to her she drinks oh 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 there is a pause there she shakes herself looks up at him and breaks into a low childlike little laugh <laughs> i'd nearly gone hadn't i emptying her glass oh oh fetch yourself a glass and we'll drink luck to each other then i really must be off the porter said the trains run every every what was it he brings a glass which she fills speaking animatedly a tumbler oh fie filling her own glass oh mine's a tumbler too nodding to him ourselves touching his glass with hers our two poor unfortunate selves they drink ha i don't care do you care a hang for anything for what the judge said for what people think Puh. here's to our friend the judge drinking nearly emptying her glass i hope his wife's a cat who leads him a jumping up suddenly her eyes dilating holding her glass high in the air happiness and prosperity to mr fraser mr fraser shh oh hush fraser of lochin she goes to the fireplace and flings the contents of her glass into the grate huh. well that's throwing good stuff after poor isn't it she places her glass on the table the cigarette box is open she takes a cigarette the old sort no no theophilus striking a match 
opium with lighting her cigarette sure i'm not in the way jack if i rest here a minute or two longer john with a glance at the library certainly not theophilus throwing herself upon the settee in a careless attitude smoking oh thank god for this rest looking round so this is the little place you used to tell me about john standing watching her apprehensively um phew your fire's all right to look at she removes her cape from her shoulders and flings it away from her he picks it up and places it over the back of a chair never mind that rag are you likely to be in paris i i'm not fond of paris theophila jumping up and speaking volubly excitedly boisterously suppose that wire don't find emily and she doesn't meet me at the north to-morrow night oh cheerful she may be dead no no not emily poor old emily be sure you look me up if you should pass through rue poisonniere eighteen you're bound to be rambling soon how lucky a man is does just as he chooses good chap so and so awfully rackety but the world would be a deuced deal livelier if there were more like him that's what they all say of Aubin. as she rattles on she takes off her bonnet and clears her hair from her brow but a woman well look at me not that anybody will look at me in paris or elsewhere i used to know several smart people in paris now oh my stars won't they talk distant objects when they see me coming along angrily ah oh, a gay time i shall have of it shut up with emily graveney with her red nose and her poor narrow chest and her perpetual sniffle she flings away her cigarette her hair is disordered her breath comes quickly there is a wild look in her eyes her bonnet falls to the floor he paces the room distractedly by jove i won't have a dull time though i shall only hang out with emily long enough just to turn round then i'll take a little appartement of my own uncle fletcher will make me an allowance i won't touch a penny of his money i'll let the world see how happy i am without the character i've been robbed of yes robbed of <laughs> snapping her fingers <laughs> i shall burst out laughing in the face of the whole world jack put my tongue out at the world your wife my husband after the solemn farce we've all gone through between her teeth yes they shall have a pretty picture in their minds of me the other side of the channel with my finger to my nose like a cheeky urchin oh my heavens how i hate him hate him hate him mrs fraser mrs fraser oh the devilish injustice of it to think that we're still married jack you would die <laughs> the mockery to think that we wander about the world still with our owner's marks branded upon us <laughs> i believe i've an f branded upon my shoulder burnt in running to him oh i won't bear it i can't bear it hush hush i shall go mad if i can't pay out that wife of yours she's ruined me i will be even with her hush and with him that fish that cold flapping fish clinging to him suddenly jack i wouldn't bore you i wouldn't bore you jack bore me oh take me away let's you and i go together john putting his hand over her mouth ah for god's sake the clock in the library is heard to strike 
It's too late, too late. Theophila draw him back, looking into his face. Too late? There's a sharp knocking at the dining room door. What's that? The knocking is repeated. Who is it? Mrs. Cloyes is here. Theophila, her hand to her brow. Mrs. Cloyes, aunt. Mrs. Cloyes, Sir Fletcher, and your brother were with me when your note arrived. They want to see you. See me? See me? John gripping her wrist. Pull yourself together, Mrs. Fraser. The knocking is again heard. John goes to the door. Theophila in a whisper. Jack! He pauses. She seems dazed. They, they haven't heard a word of, of what I said to you. Heard? No. Are you ready? He pulls aside the potier, unlocks the door, and opens it. Mrs. Cloyes enters. Sir Fletcher and Claude appear in the doorway. You've tried my patience long enough, Mr. Ellingham. She goes to Theophila. John walks away and stands with his back to those in the room. Come, you have had ample time for your business interview. Staring at Theophila. What's wrong with you? Theophila sinking into a chair. N nothing. Where's your cape and your bonnet? Theophila looks round vacantly. Cape? Cape? Here's a cape. He hands the cape to Mrs. Cloyes. She snatches it from him and puts it round Theophila's shoulders. Claude picks up the bonnet and brings it to Mrs. Cloyes. Then he goes to the upper door and stands there waiting. Mrs. Cloyes raising Theophila. You are not well. You are ill. Fletcher. Sir Fletcher goes up to the steps leading to the library. Where are you going? My hat. He pushes the portier aside and draws back. Mrs. Allingham? Hesitatingly. Uh, I, I believe I have left my hat here, Mrs. Allingham. May I? He enters the library. Mrs. Allingham? Mrs. Allingham? Yes, yes. Sir Fletcher comes out of the library carrying his hat. Theophila to Mrs. Cloyes. Mrs. Allingham? His wife mr and mrs ellingham have arranged their differences looking from theophila to john why don't you know sir fletcher portwood coming down the steps haven't you seen mrs ellingham seen her this evening here here your interview with mr hallingham has taken place in this room in this room yes come wait harriet please allingham mr allingham pardon me for putting such a question surely you have not allowed allowed been a party to allowed allowed what sir fletcher portwood looking towards the library harriet you can hear most distinctly in the library here over here certainly over here no no going to john preposterous after a pause mr ellingham why should mrs ellingham be there john is silent what has passed between you and your wife has not been listening 
mrs fraser has said nothing to me that a a just woman can bring up against her listening yes but you don't know olive 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 comes out of the library and stands at the top of the steps theophila regards her for a moment blankly then goes to the balustrade and stares up at her after a brief pause theophila joins mrs cloys but seeing john she comes unsteadily towards him and looks him in the face then as she turns away to mrs cloys she utters a groan and tumbles to the floor at john's feet End of Act Two.